So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshall's. Oh, no. This really scares me, Tony. As you can see, when Big Papa Pump comes to town, all my hooches come around. It's just a damn shame that we had to leave LA and come to this cesspool called Tulsa. But last night when I was kicking it in the bootio, proving that I was the daddy, that I was the king of the night. <laughs> but I'm not one to brag. Madeja, Kim, why don't you tell me what it's like to be with the purple warrior? The what? You're not just any man between the sheets, honey. Kim, why don't you tell him what he's really like? Oh, that's right. Big pop of pumps not and he just he's our Superman. You're damn straight. So this goes to all my freaks out there. Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. He's right about Tulsa, Tony. You know what you get when you spell Tulsa backwards, don't you? Uh, I'm done. No. No. I don't. Think I, about it. Okay. Now, last week, I was watching TV, and I watched a 53-year-old man come out here who has more loose skin than a Sharpay puppy come out here and say he's still the man. I seen Ric Flair, number two, the nature boy, come out here who's been the butt end of all the jokes because he's supposed to be the limousine riding, jet flying son of a gun. But I'm saying one time you should have took a cab and used that money to fix your crooked yellow teeth. So I had to ask myself if WCW was going to hire the nature boy number two, why would they hire the nature boy, the original nature boy, Buddy Rogers? Now, I don't know that Buddy Rogers is dead, God rest his soul, but Ric Flair, your career is dead. And I know as he lays six feet under, he's still styling and profiling because when you used your little brain and stole his name, there's one thing you couldn't steal, and that was his class. So when you walked down that aisle last week, I know I wasn't alone, because the people at home, all they did was grab their remote, change the channel to the WWF, and watch Stone Cold, a person you and your old friends got fired from here, because you're a jealous old bastard. So Ric Flair, remember this, in this wrestling business, there's never been a bigger ass-kissing, butt-sucking bastard in this business, but also in life, you're the biggest ass-kissing, back-stabbing, 
And in case you haven't figured it out, Tulsa, spelled backwards, comes out to a slut. A slut. Uh, And just for those who are curious, Scott Steiner did cut that promo back in the year 2000. He was suspended by WCW for a whole whopping two weeks for that tirade. And honestly, can you really blame WCW for not suspending him all that long at that time they were getting hammered in the ratings i mean at some points the ratings were three to one in favor of wwe and yes there are many other legendary scott steiner promos that we will be sharing here on this show in the future as their anniversaries come up because that's really what this show is all about it is looking back and talking about the anniversaries of various moments, news, and other stuff in the world of pro wrestling's history. So I want to thank you all for listening. Again, I am Don Tony back, and this week we will be covering the period of February 5th through February 11th. Seven audio clips to include this week. You already heard one of them. And one in particular is a retirement speech. It is the anniversary of someone's retirement. It runs 20 minutes long. And I really tried my hardest to figure out certain areas of the speech that I could edit out and condense it a little bit just to keep the episode a little bit shorter. But quite honestly, as I listened through the speech, there really was not much that I could have taken out of it. So I left everything in it in its entirety. And the luxury of doing podcasts now compared to 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago where podcasts weren't around, but it's not like a cassette tape. We have to sit there and hit the fast forward button. And sometimes you fast forward too much and you got to rewind and this, this, and that, and blah, 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 blah. All you got to do is take your mouse and you can fast forward in a matter of a second or two. So I want to kick off this week going all the way back to the year 1950. And I know almost everyone out there could care less about 1950. Many of you, if not just about all of you, have never heard of Leroy McGurk. But I just want to share what went down this week back in 1950, just to show you the bad luck of this guy. All right. Leroy McGurk was involved in wrestling, had at this point a 16-year career. And when he was young, he lost sight in one of his eyes. And so you got a guy, and I invite anybody out there, put a patch over your eye and just try to do two, three hours of everyday living with only sight in one eye. It's not that easy. And you would think in the wrestling business, maybe in this day and age where there's high flying and so much more high-risk maneuvers being done, back then it was a lot more of a ground game. But, you know, your balance and everything could be really thrown off if you only have sight primarily in one eye. So the fact that this guy had a 16-year career up until that point and was pretty damn successful. You know, the guy deserves major props, but just to set up what happened. So now you got this guy, 16-year career, as a kid, already had lost sight in one of his eyes, and he gets involved in a car accident this week. He was in a vehicle with someone by the name of Bob Clay, who at the time was being trained by, by McGurk, and they were driving to a, a restaurant. And again, just to show you the horrible, horrible luck that this guy had, all right? They're in a car, 
And uh, apparently there was another car coming the opposite way, was driving recklessly. So the driver of this vehicle, Bob Clay, swerved to try to get out of the way, hit the brakes. And because McGurk apparently wasn't wearing a a seatbelt, and I don't even know how prevalent seatbelts were in 1950, he hit the windshield. And he was wearing glasses at the time. The glasses shattered, and he lost sight in the other eye. Just just think about that. You already have one eye's sight lost as a kid. And then you get into an auto accident, and your glasses shatter, and you lose sight in the other eye. That's fucked up. Seriously. But, you know, it just I figured I'd share it with everyone because it happened this week in 1950. We fast forward to 1971. Pedro Morales defeated Ivan Koloff to win the WWWF heavyweight title. You follow this show on a regular basis. We covered Ivan Koloff's victory not too long ago. And we have mentioned in the past that Pedro, you know, when he won the title, I think a lot of people forget how long he kept that title. You know, we always think about Bruno's lengthy title reign, Hogan's, you know, CM Punk to a certain extent, Bob Backlund's, but Pedro Morales had that title from February of 1971 all the way to December of 1973. I mean, that's a pretty damn long time. And yes, compared to the other champions, well, maybe, you know, CM Punk, because CM Punk was, what, 434 days. You're talking about Pedro had over a 1,000. But when you look at wrestling history and when you see clips and things that are brought up, you don't ever hear anybody really focusing on how long Pedro had that title. I mean, can you think of old old school fans out there? Can you think of many title defenses that are memorable in Pedro's career as far as a title run? You might think of George the Animal Steel, maybe Stan Stasiak, and a couple of people here and there, but you don't see a lot of attention to Pedro's heavyweight championship career. So, uh, and another little tidbit that I think a lot of people may not know. You remember back around 1980, I think it was Backlund and Pedro had teamed up and they defeated might I didn't do the research on it. I think they defeated the Samoans and I think it was at Chase Stadium. But because Bob Backlund was already the heavyweight champion, he had to relinquish the tag title. Now, Back then, they didn't let Pedro pick another tag champ. And in storyline, if I was Pedro, I would have been pissed off because, hey, my tag team, why am I going into a championship match with a champion that if we win the titles, I can't keep it? (laughs) Think about that. But we always remember Pedro and Backlund teaming up and winning the tag titles and then having to relinquish it because Backlund was heavyweight champ. The one belt rule. What a lot of people may not know is that The one belt rule happened to Pedro twice. And if you think of what I just said about why would Pedro team up with Backlund and thinking, hey, I'm not going to be able to keep the title if I win it. He, amongst anyone else, and I'm talking storyline, everyone, please. I I know I say that a lot on the other shows, but you'd be surprised if I don't do that. There's always a bunch of trolls, and they're usually very young, and they're like, Oh, Dan Tony, I don't know if you realize it, but it was management. And, you know, it, it was, this is, please give me a break. But again, in storyline, why would Pedro even you team up with Backlund? So anyway, Pedro 
the one belt rule applied to him twice because he went when he won the WWF championship, he had to vacate the WWF United States championship. He had won it a month earlier. And at that time, because he relinquished the belt so he could keep the WWF heavyweight title, it was awarded back to Bobo Brazil. And Bobo Brazil held that title until 1976 when it was abandoned. So that's it. 1974. And the only reason why I mention this is because the footage is actually online. So if you just if you're into watching like really, really old, old school and just cool moments. This week in 74 at the Maple Leaf Gardens, there was a match involving the Sheik and Andre the Giant. And during that match, the Sheik threw a fireball in Andre the Giant's eyes. Looks really, really cool. It's a cool visual. And the Sheik did not get disqualified for it. I don't believe it was a no DQ match. But if you want to see, you know, it's it's a moment in history and it's a long time. 1979, the late great Eddie Gilbert made his pro wrestling debut in Memphis, his name at the time when he debuted was Tommy Gilbert Jr. He had teamed up with Ricky Reed, and they defeated Jake Dalton. And how do you like this name? Haiti Charlie. Haiti Charlie. Now, if you, I tried to look up the wrestling career of Haiti Charlie because not for nothing, and I'm not saying this in any racist way, but you think of Haiti Charlie. Don't you think of like the Haiti kid? You, you think immediately, okay, maybe midget black wrestler. But it wasn't, and I could not find anything in the career of Haiti Charlie. So, but uh, I, I did some research, and Eddie Gilbert made his pro wrestling debut this week. I'm gonna, in the future, mention here and there wrestling debuts for certain people. I mean, I'm not gonna get into every debut because I go through twenty or thirty every single week. But moments that I think are notable, I will definitely mention it. This week also in 1981, Jerry the King Lawler defeated Hulk Hogan by DQ when Jimmy Hart interfered in the match. This match is actually a great match. I watched it this week. You know, Hulk Hogan was never paid to be a ground wrestler. Uh, You see his matches in Japan, and you know Hogan works a little bit of a different style. The guy knew how to wrestle, but... You know, this is what prolonged his career, doing, you know, the the typical matches he did in WWF and WCW. But Jerry Lawler, man, not only could that guy sell, but his punches were so spot on when he would take a punch. And really, if you want to see an entertaining match, go seek this one out. It was from the Mid-South Coliseum this week in 81, Lawler over Hogan. This week in 1983, Midnight Rider defeated Ric Flair to win the NWA heavyweight title. Problem is, at that time, Dusty Rhodes was suspended, and NWA president Bob Geigel, in storyline, ordered the Midnight Rider to unmask. Now, look, you see Dusty Rhodes' body. I mean, how could you not know it's Dusty? Of course we do it's Dusty. But in the storyline, they had him unmask. It was revealed to be Dusty Rhodes. And because he was suspended, he uh, would not be able to keep that title. And that was it. Um, And just a little tidbit that someone had wrote online that I did some research, and it is true. The only other time since then that a masked wrestler won the NWA heavyweight title was in 2006 when Abyss won the title. 1984, WWF had a tournament for the junior heavyweight title eight-man tournament ran about a month 
And the finals had Dynamite Kid defeating the Cobra, who was George Takano, and he won the WWF Junior Heavyweight title. 1985, Jimmy Hart makes his WWF debut this week at a TV taping in Poughkeepsie, New York. On that taping, he managed both Greg DeHammer Valentine, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and the footage is online of Jimmy Hart's first ever match managing in WWF if you want to seek it out. This week in 1986, one of the memorable uh, title victories for Macho Man Randy Savage. He defeated Tito Santana to win the WWF Intercontinental Championship. If anybody has uh, watched recently the WWE Network, they added a lot of old school footage to it. And this match is on the WWE Network. This was the match where Randy Savage used the foreign object, hit Tito Santana in the head, and they actually zoomed in on the foreign object outside the ring. And I don't know if it was Lord Alfred Hayes that thought it was Brass Knuckles or the Gorilla Monsoon. I don't know what the fuck it was, but it did look pretty funny. I believe that was Macho Man's first WWF title that he won. So there you go. 1988, Boston, Massachusetts. Bam Bam Bigelow and Hulk Hogan wrestled Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase. The reason why I mention this is because on last week's episode that I did, we talked about Andre beating Hogan on a main event handing the title over to Ted DiBiase. Well, Ted DiBiase on the house show circuit for the next week or two, he was announced as heavyweight champion. And I was going to play the audio of it, you know, just to hear, you know, Howard Finkel or I think it was Mel Phillips recognized Ted DiBiase as the WWF heavyweight champion, but the audio quality is terrible. But uh, he was recognized as champion for about a week or two. And then they did the storyline where Jack Tunney stripped him, but uh, I don't his title reign I don't believe is recognized by WWE. I, I haven't checked the title history recently, but still very interesting to hear Ted DiBiase announced as the WWF heavyweight championship at the House Show Circuit, albeit for a very short period of time. This week in 1989, Brian Clark, you know him as Adam Bomb, Chronic, elsewhere. He made his pro wrestling debut as the Night Stalker in AWA. And speaking of AWA, that same week, Larry Zbysko won a battle royal to win the vacated AWA heavyweight title. It was vacated after AWA stripped Jerry the King Lawler. Um, basically, it was a relationship with Continental Wrestling Association and AWA, and they had ended their working relationship and uh, as a result, Jerry Lawler was stripped of the title. Now, this week in 1989, something else happened that was a very big deal. I know we focus more on 1997, but it really started in 1989. Now, you could watch clips of Vince McMahon going back to the early 80s, calling wrestling sports entertainment. I think there's even a clip of him in the late 70s where he actually says the world of sports and entertainment. But he's been calling wrestling sports entertainment way before people realize. And technically, people recognize this week back in 89 as the birth, the official birth of sports entertainment. What happened was this week in 89, in front of this, uh, this New Jersey Senate, there was a bill proposed and was uh, passed by a vote of 37 to 1 to remove 
wrestling from regulations that had been applied by the New Jersey State Athletic Commission. Vince, during this testimony, said that wrestling should be defined as an activity in which participants struggle hand-in-hand, primarily for the purpose of providing entertainment to spectators rather than conducting a bona fide athletic contest. Basically saying publicly that wrestling was predetermined. And I know after all of these years, I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous to say that, you know, wow, people didn't realize it. Again, you go to my YouTube channel and I have footage of a lot of local networks here from 1985 when they were hyping up WrestleMania and everything else. And you see a lot of people interviewed on the streets. And I'm not talking children, just children. I'm talking about people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that seriously believe that wrestling was real. Yeah, And I hate using that term, but at that time, the only terms that they ever said was real or fake, real or fake. You didn't hear like predetermined, choreographed, stuff like that. We remember what happened with Dr. D. David Schultz and John Stossel. But at that time, I mean, you really only use, for the most part, two terms, fake or real. Case in point, during these proceedings in 89, Senator Francis McManamum said, and I quote, it's entertainment, it's illusion. If this was real, there'd be broken bones all over the place. Now, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, common sense. But at that time, when a lot of people you know, refused to believe that wrestling was completely choreographed. This was a blow. And from Vern Gagne to even Dirt Sheets, and I hate using Dirt Sheets because I I am a fan of Meltzer's. I've been a fan of Dave Meltzer since a kid. You know, I know he gets a lot of heat and a lot of slack because of his extreme praise for Japanese wrestling. I guess they never read the the, the Meltzer you know, dirt sheets going back 20, 30 years ago because he was always talking about Japanese wrestling back then. But across the board, this was really frowned upon by what Vince did. And it made a lot of people extremely bitter. Um, But another thing, if you do the research, I'm not going to get into all of this now, but back in 89, WWF did not have boatloads of cash. Of course, WrestleMania became a success and they were making money. But... They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get a lot of these regulations lifted. And when I mentioned earlier about 1997, you know, this went on for about eight years until it officially got implemented because this didn't just kick in immediately. There were other aspects of it that were not resolved right away. For example, in Jersey, if you had a major wrestling televised event, you had to pay $100,000 media tax. So from 1989 to 1997, for the most part, you did not have any major wrestling televised events. And, you know, fast forwarding to 1997 a little bit, you know, it was this is the one that everybody pretty much remembers. Governor Christy, Christine Todd Whitman, Christy Todd Whitman, she finally had passed uh, some regulations, acknowledging wrestling as sports entertainment, eliminating certain taxes. And um, this opened the doors for WWF to start doing events, big events in Jersey. In fact, because of this signing, 
they decided to hold SummerSlam that year at the Continental Airlines Arena. And I haven't watched the TV footage since 97, but for some reason, I always remember, I think it was The Undertaker who showed up at the courts during that time. But this was a big deal because with all of this now being deemed sports entertainment, wrestlers no longer had to pass physicals. You didn't need an ambulance sitting outside, which costs money. You know, believe me, I give Mass Maniac a boatload of credit because, yes, he had six-hour shows. Yes, you know, they had ticket sellers. Yes, you know, people on the undercard didn't get paid all that well. But that man always did everything by the books. And, yeah, I will take some credit for it because he always had me doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, making sure insurance is done, making sure the ambulance. Now, he paid for everything, but making sure there was an ambulance there, making sure that because, you know, he wanted to do everything by the book. State Athletic Commission is no joke, especially in New York, New Jersey, Philly. I still remember the time, and I will never forget this. When I was working for XPW in Philly, the one of the first events, if not the first event that they ever had, there was a major meeting with the Philadelphia State Athletic Commission. And I remember representatives from WWF, WCW, uh, XPW. I even think maybe Ring of Honor, Combat Zone, like everybody had to appear at this meeting. And for some reason, I always remember Shane Douglas being in the empty building, Bill Apter being there as well, and myself, and I'm sure you, some of you know this person, Eric Walker. He used to write for Pro Wrestling Between the Sheets. You always recognize him with wrestling belts. Very good guy. He is still online. If you ever come across Eric Walker, he will tell you, and this is not an exaggeration. He and I were sitting in the rafters, Empty Arena, Shane Douglas, Bill Apter, and a few others there. And all that was being discussed was this major meeting that the State Athletic Commission was having with all the feds. And a lot of it was stemmed because of XPW coming to the Northeast. There were a lot of people that did not want them there. And they tried everything. It's it's funny. You look at pro wrestling, and if you want to compare it to politics, you see the media now, how they try to just shit on Trump everywhere they can, try to knock him out of office. The, the same wrestling community did the same thing towards XPW in the Northeast. Man, I don't want to single anybody out right now, but if you had any idea what was going down at that time, it's, it's, it's sad. It really is. And I've talked many times when Wrestling Society X came around and some of those very same journalists just did a 180 and you had people behind the scenes that were just biting their tongues and just accepting the positive press that they were getting. But some of these people out there and some of them still are around to this day were major dirtbag pieces of shit at that time that were trying. They were obsessed with getting XPW out of the Northeast. So again, with all these regulations and taxes being lifted and wrestling being deemed entertainment, there was major changes in the world of pro wrestling. And uh, it started this week back in 1989. We go to 1990. WCW had a couple of memorable moments this week in history. Uh, first, Clash of the Champions 10, Texas Shootout, Four Horsemen, defeated Gary Hart International, who was Buzz Sawyer, Dragon Master, Great Muda, the Steel Cage match. Now, 
you say four horsemen, but it, there was only three members on the opposite team. Uh, it's because the members of the four horsemen in this match were Arn Anderson, Ole Anson, and Ric Flair. So why wasn't there a fourth member? Well, the fourth member at that time was Sting. But earlier in the night, Ole Anderson and four horsemen cut the promo, kicking Sting out of the horsemen, and they basically attacked him. And what a lot of people may not remember is that at the end of the night, the main event, Sting returned, climbed the cage, and tried to extract revenge onto the four horsemen. But during that brawl, he blew out his knee. Sting tore his ACL and was out of action. So, Also, that week in 1990, this is, uh, you know, Vader, I'm telling you, it would never be talked about in a WWE highlight film as far as Hall of Fame. But this is one of the things that should always be brought up just to show you how tough of a son of a bitch Vader is. This week in 90, had a match against Stan Hansen. And not intentionally, but Stan Hansen accidentally poked Vader in the eye with his thumb. And he poked him on the side of his eye, which caused the eye to pop out of the socket. So Vader removed his mask and pushed his eye back into his socket and held it in place with his eyelid. This guy continued and finished the match. The match ended up in a no contest. But Vader, as a result, had to get, I think, a a little metal plate to be surgically implanted underneath his eye. This guy had his eye popped out of his socket, and he freaking finished the match. The match is online. So, you know, if you watch it in high definition, which I don't think it exists for this match, it would get a little queasy to watch. But, man, tough son of a bitch. And, you know, we always remember what happened to him. What, he go to Pakistan or something? The incident overseas about wrestling. And, again, wrestling being fake. But people don't bring up enough the toughness of this man, especially when you see a match like this. Holy cow. Holy cow. 19, see, we haven't done any audio clips yet because most of the audio clips are more of today's era. But uh, they're coming up very, very soon, everyone. 1992, the first ever WWF Saturday night's main event that aired on Fox takes place. And it was most memorable because of Sid Justice walking out of the match. It was him and Hulk Hogan taking on The Undertaker and Ric Flair. Him walking out set up the match at WrestleMania 8 between Hogan and Sid Justice. Unfortunately for this week in 1992, uh, Kerry Von Erich was pulled from all of his bookings because of what had transpired recently with his arrest. Uh, And what I think a lot of people may not be aware of, that it was Fritz Von Erich, his father, had called the offices and said his son Kerry needed to go into drug rehab and they admitted him at the Betty Ford Center. Um, what had happened was Kerry was taken off the road one week earlier because he had missed his bookings for the two weeks prior. And while he was on suspension, he was arrested uh, by going to a drugstore. And I did some research about the arrest. It was uh, February 9th. He went to Eckerd's Drugstore in Richardson, Texas, and had phony drug prescriptions for, I think, painkillers. 
and uh, he was arrested, charged with two felony counts of obtaining drugs through fraud. And at that time, they were felony threes, which could give him between two and 10 years in jail for each one and a $5,000 fine. A lot of local reports figured that he would not serve any uh, jail time as long as he agreed to enter drug rehab. Um, but it caused major problems. And, uh, you know, the, it was the beginning of the end for Kerry Von Erich. Very, very sad. And as you will hear later on, you know, it was this week in history that we lost another Von Erich. So very sad. Very sad. 1993 in Dortmund, Germany. Bret Hart over Ric Flair by submission to retain the WWF title. I mentioned this match because it was Ric Flair's last ever match in the WWF. Yes, he would return later on. But back in 93, after he had that match on Raw, you know, the WWF is not big enough for both of us. Him and Mr. Perfect. Well, he actually wrestled in Germany after that. Lost to Bret Hart. And then he went back to WCW. Now. We go to an audio clip. February 1996, Brian Pillman would start doing his loose cannon gimmick. And yes, I've talked in recent weeks about him, you know, pulling Bobby Heenan's jacket. And at that time, he was acting very um, unorthodox and just like loose cannon on TV. Well, this week, uh, he was supposed to wrestle in a match against Kevin Sullivan on the Super Bowl VI pay-per-view. It was a strap match, and it was supposed to be similar to an I Quit match with the difference that instead of saying I Quit, you would say I Respect You. It was an I Respect You match. And for those at the time, including me, we would not realize it, but this ended up being Brian Pillman's last ever match in WCW. It was supposed to be a work-slash-shoot and what had gone down at the time was Eric Bischoff on TV was going to fire uh, Brian Pillman, probably on Nitro, maybe the next night or whatever it was. And then he was going to head to ECW to reinvent himself. And then ultimately, he would come back to WCW. Problem is, is that the match was supposed to be uh, a lot longer than what it was. And the match only lasted 45 seconds. Not only did Brian Pillman abruptly get on the mic and say, I respect you, he actually did something you don't do at that time, and he revealed Kevin Sullivan as the booker, and he basically said, I respect you, booker man. Pillman rolled out of the ring, walked out of the building, was giving fans the middle finger as he walked out, and uh, he was gone, never came back. Now, I'm going to play you the audio clip of how the match went down because it was so short. And then I'm going to read um, a, a segment of Dave Meltzer's newsletter as far as what went down at the time for this incident. I just love the writing for this. I think it really spells out a lot of little details that you may not have known about regarding this because, believe it, I know we always think of the Montreal screw job and other moments in history that were, quote-unquote, you know, ended up being shoots, but this one is not talked about enough and Meltzer who reported it at the time in his newsletter I thought did a fabulous job of explaining and it's interesting if I didn't think it was interesting I wouldn't even bother reading I would just say this week Brian Pillman wrestled this match at WCW move on but first the match a bad divorce I look at Flying Brian he means business he is sprinting to the ring 
are going at it. They are not waiting to get hooked up by a leather strap. Oh, my goodness, they got a fight going on here. Well, I, too, I told you it's just going to be Katie by the door right here. I don't know how they're going to get them strapped up, but they are really going at it. Whoa, baby. Flying Bryant trying as all he can to whip Kevin Sullivan, who's just hanging on to it. Kevin Sullivan's chewing his ankle off. This is a Donnie Brook. Yeah. Uh, Donnie Brook is right, and he has got that strap, and he is raking him around the eyes. And, oh, man, let me tell you, respect is the name of the game in this one right here at Super Brawl 6. Ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Oh, oh Sullivan hit him right in the jaw. He hit him right in the jaw and almost knocked him out. And now he kicks him into the solar plexus, and they're not even thinking about a leather strap right now. Jimmy Jett has a wireless microphone. And yeah, I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. I respect you, Booker man. Oh, he said, I respect you. And he, you. and he walked. And he walked out. And he walked. He said, I respect you, and he walked out. Wow. So Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, will win it. I should also mention, before I read Meltzer's newsletter, is that because the match ended so quickly, they didn't know what to do. So Arn Anderson came out with like a polo shirt on and like golf pants and sneakers. He actually came out and had an impromptu brawl with Kevin Sullivan. And that match ended up in a no contest because Ric Flair came out and said, basically, stop fighting. It was a disaster. But here is Meltzer's newsletter at the time. And like I said... I thought he did a fabulous job reporting this, and you really should consider subscribing to his network and reading some of these old newsletters because there is so much gold in his reports, and he gets into detail. And look, I am not a cheerleader for Meltzer. All right, I disagree with a lot of things that he says, but man, I've been a fan of his since I was a kid, and um, he does a great job. So anyway, he says, and I quote, the strange turns of Super Bowl VI on February 11th at St. Petersburg at the Bayfront Center Arena ended with Brian Pillman apparently out of WCW and Elizabeth turning on Randy Savage and costing him the WCW title in his match with Ric Flair. The latter was definitely the result of a well-booked surprise finish. The former was something else indeed. It was either the most highly calculated and hard to logically explain rouge in the history, recent history of pro wrestling, or the end of Pillman in WCW. During a week within the company, the majority viewpoint was that the incident between Pillman and Kevin Sullivan and the announcing by Eric Bischoff was not a planned angle. Pillman, who had in the last month become almost legendary for either erratic behavior or being in his wrestling character 24 hours a day or both, had frequently arrived late for his shows. On the Nitro prior to the clash in Las Vegas, Pillman disappeared and several in WCW were apparently scared he was going to show up as a surprise on the live WWF Raw in Stockton, California, about an hour away, hour, one hour flight away. The next Nitro saw Pillman in a tag match with Arn Anderson against Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris, have a stinker of a match due to what at least appeared to be a total lack of communication and had a few seconds of what appeared to be shooting. Many in the company felt Pillman, who stormed out of Lakeland after a backstage argument with Kevin Sullivan, was through with the company. However, he showed up late again the next day for Universal Studio tapings. 
The next day, while Bischoff was having a meeting with the wrestlers, Pillman mouthed off and the two had words with Bischoff saying that Pillman was very lucky he was still employed and strongly hinted as he had on television that he probably would not last for long. The rest of the week at the Disney tapings, Pillman was kept apart from all the wrestlers, supposedly because there was so much heat between himself and Booker, Kevin Sullivan, and dressed in a different trailer. However, the TV show a few days later seemed to spell an angle. The incident aired on TV and was played up like a wrestling angle, albeit a new form of an angle, aimed at only fans who were at least half smart to aspects of the business. Sullivan's interview where he broke a pencil apparently to signify that he wasn't acting as a booker slash wrestler in a match, appeared to give away this was a Japanese-style angle. Unfortunately, it isn't aimed at a Japanese-style audience, which understands the significance of breaking a pencil or shooting or supposed shooting in the ring. In addition, when clips were shown of the match, everything was shown intact rather than edited, had something that wasn't supposed to have happened take place. This led to the pay-per-view show on February 11th. What people saw was billed as a respect match between Kevin Sullivan and Brian Pillman. It was basically an I quit match, I quit version of a strap match. Pillman came out to the ring with the strap that he had supposedly had stolen earlier in the day, whipped Kevin Sullivan a few times, Sullivan punched him in the face hard and kicked him a few times, and Pillman went to a totally stunned ref and grabbed the mic and said very sarcastically, I respect you, Booker man, walked out, flipping off the crowd on the way back. At this point, there was genuine panic backstage. Jimmy Hart came out and said what happened and pulled in on Anderson, dressed in shorts and tennis shoes, to come into the ring and do a bad representation of the match, complete with almost as strange a finish as the previous match. After three minutes and 45 seconds, Ric Flair came out and told them both to stop, and the match simply ended. Backstage, Pillman and Bischoff got into an argument in front of everyone with cursing and Pillman sarcastically telling Bischoff something to the effect of, sorry about your 12-minute strap match, then left the building with Chris Benoit. Kevin Sullivan came back after his match with Arn Anderson looking for Pillman, who had already left. Pillman then flew home before the Nitro the next night in Tampa, and while there was no official word of him being fired, Bischoff did vaguely bring up what happened at the onset of Nitro and made a remark about Pillman being history and there only being three horsemen. Pillman was telling friends all week that he expected to be done with the company because when you have a big problem with the booker, you go to a new territory. Sometime around the time of Pillman's argument with Bischoff in the dressing room after the Sullivan match, Disco Inferno was the only wrestler to openly question things, suddenly saying something to the effect of, they're working the boys. If it was a work, it was one of the most elaborate ones in recent memory. As few, if any of the wrestlers knew, the referees in the ring had no idea, noticed Jimmy Jett at least seeming to have no clue of what Pillman was doing during the entire minute he was in the ring. The announcers didn't know, and the production people in the back all flipped out and legitimately went into a panic when a planned 12-minute strap match ended in 59 seconds. Several things were implemented later on in the show, such as Lex Luger taking forever to get into the ring during the tag match with the Road Warriors, along with the Arn Anderson scenario to kill time because the show would be running very short. Perhaps the work will be so elaborate that Pillman will be fired as an angle. Either that or he'll simply be fired. Clearly, if after all this he isn't fired, it has to be a work 
because this is too many different things in a two-week period. But if it is a work, they'd know that and have to fire him anyway to continue to work. Now, again, remember, this was written. This was written back in 1996 as it went down. So it's not like it was in retrospect years later. That's Melter's reporting the week as this went down. I thought he did a fabulous, fabulous job, and it really tells you a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff of what went down at that time. So I hope you enjoyed it. 1997, I didn't like how this went down on TV. I just thought it was a little... I don't want to say over the top. I just was, it was just an awkward clip. I know I told you recently about the unfortunate um, passing of Randy Anderson way back when referee WCW had been diagnosed with testicular cancer, was taken off TV for a while, and they did the storyline where Eric Bischoff fired him because of his uh, actions as a referee in the NWO sold-out pay-per-view. Well, this week in 97, they did the segment where Randy Anderson came out with his wife and his two little kids, and yeah, I know it was supposed to come off as making Eric Bischoff as a real asshole and put more sympathy on Randy Anderson, but it basically begging for his job back. And, you know, they ultimately set up a match the following week with Nick Patrick versus Randy Anderson, which I, I don't think anybody wanted to see anyway. But still, I just, I don't know. I didn't like the segment at all. Now, 1998. Very, very, very memorable moment in Goldberg's career. This has been talked about many, many times over the years, so I don't need to get into it in all that much detail. But you can see footage of it on the WWE Network. You can see interviews with Goldberg, William Regal, and others. But it was this week, back in 98, Goldberg defeated Lord Stephen Regal, uh, William Regal, on Nitro. This match uh, is under so much controversy over the years because this was technically Goldberg's first competitive five-minute match. It also exposed a lot of inexperience on Goldberg's part. William Regal disputes in his uh, autobiography that this is not what the referees wanted he has stated all along that he was told to give a six-minute match with Goldberg. Make Goldberg look good, but six minutes with Goldberg, it has to be a competitive match. And you watch the match, and Goldberg is very sloppy. And, you know, William Regal, not too long after that, was fired. He wasn't fired because of this. I mean, at the time, I think he had problems medicinally, I guess you could call it. And there was some other issues as well. But... William Regal stands to this day. He insists that he was told to have a competitive five-minute match with Goldberg. And, uh, you know, you hear some people behind the scenes at WCW to this day that dispute that. But the match was very interesting to watch in real time. It is still interesting to watch now. And, again, it exposed a lot of inexperience for Goldberg at the time. But still, I mean, give Goldberg a lot of credit. He obviously improved substantially after that. And at the same time, you really can't blame Goldberg. He wasn't really training all that long, but I enjoyed that match very much, very much. 1999, WWF presented Raw Saturday Night. And the reason why it was Raw Saturday Night was because of the coverage of the Westminster dog show that was going to air on Monday night in Raw's time slot. So they decided to do 
a Saturday Raw, a day before the February St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view. Not only is this the largest attendance for a Monday Night Raw in company history, 41,432 fans. All right, this took place in Canada at the Sky Dome. But if you ever just, and I know there's been other episodes that you could compare this to, but I watched the beginning of this episode this week. It is unreal the number of signs that are on in that building. Could you imagine if you had that many signs these days? It would it would be like going to an airport to get on a plane. You would have to probably wait two hours before you let in the building because they have to examine everybody. It was just it's insane the amount of signs that were in that building at that night. Like I said, just go and watch the first forty five seconds of Raw this week in nineteen ninety nine. Look at that intro that built the beginning. It is mind-blowing the number of signs that were in the building that night. Absolutely awesome. And originally, that screenshot was originally going to be my synopsis for this week. But something else happened this week in history that <laughs> you'll, when you see the photo, you'll know why I chose something else instead. But this night on Saturday Raw, this was the in-ring debut of Vince McMahon. And uh, he was, you know, in a tag match. It was the corporation, Vince, Ken Shamrock, Tess Kane, China, and Big Boss Man over Steve Austin in the gauntlet match. And Steve Austin was pinned in uh, 69 seconds by Vince McMahon. So figured I'd share with everyone. It is a very memorable moment in wrestling history. And again, just the, the kudos for the crowd that night. Man, I've never seen that many signs. Uh, I, there's been episodes comparable, but... Not to the level of that, in my opinion. Now, at the same time this was going down on WWE television, something else was going down on WCW. And you read and do research and you watch and look at fans' reactions, especially newer fans over the years. And for the most part, people just absolutely shit beyond belief of this storyline between Bret Hart and Will Sasso. And, you know, for me, I thought Bret Hart's appearance on Mad TV was fucking phenomenal. And to this day, there are people that insist that a majority of what went down on Mad TV was legit, a shoot, for real. And, you know, look, I'll give you this the synopsis, the time frame in a summary as far as what went down back in 1999. Okay, Will Sasso was on the show Mad TV, which was a very popular show at that time. Will Sasso is an actor on Mad TV and is a huge wrestling fan. And I give Will Sasso credit because if you watch him in this segment and then you watch him a couple of years later for on a segment with WWE, I mean, the guy lost weight, he transformed his body a little bit. Of course, he still had poundage on him. But I don't know. This this storyline, the Mad TV segment to me was the highlight of it. Everything else that went down after that was pretty dismal. But we have two audio clips. Uh, I can't play the third audio clip yet because it doesn't happen until next week. For you know, So I can't cover it yet. 
but I haven't watched the match since it aired, so I will watch it next week, and I'll decide if I want to share the audio with everyone. But basically, in chronological order, and I'll play audio clip first, you know, WCW, on a hype of getting major media press, Dennis Rodman, Jay Leno, and a lot of other things that have gone on, they decided to get involved with Mad TV a little bit. So first, you had Bret Hart showing up on Mad TV in a segment. And just to paint a picture of what you're going to hear, we're supposed to pretend that we have Jesse Ventura doing a press conference. Will Sasso is playing the role of Jesse Ventura. And you have the media asking ridiculous questions to quote-unquote Jesse Ventura. So Jesse Ventura brings out Bret Hart, and Bret Hart is supposed to playfully put each a reporter in a wrestling move to shut them up because of the dumb question that they asked. Then it got out of control. And sure, the audio does not do its justice. Watch the video. But again, you search around, There are. it is amazing how many people think that at least a good portion of this was legit. Please welcome the new governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Body Ventura. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me first start off by saying that I don't want to be referred to as the body anymore. You do it again and I'll kill you. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. I now want to be known simply as governor. I don't want anybody alluding to the fact that I am an ex-wrestler. I'm a servant of the people, and I promise to represent this great state with class and dignity. Thank you. All right, that being said, I'd like to introduce my new lieutenant governor, the WCW U.S. heavyweight champ, Bret the Hitman Hart. I'd just like to say hey to all the great people in Minnesota and any other state that thinks they're better than us is living in a stinking dream world. Excuse me, Governor. Yeah. You want us to take you seriously, yet you appoint a wrestler to the second highest position in the state? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold, hold on a second. Are you saying that wrestlers aren't qualified to hold public office? Well, I... Yeah, yeah. Brett, why don't you show this young lady your qualifications? <laughs> so you don't think I'm qualified? Well, I didn't, I didn't say that. I, I'm just not sure a re- wrestler could... Good. Because I'd hate to think my people don't trust me. Yes, yeah, I, I would hate that too. Next question. Now let's please keep these questions to a political nature. Right there. Yes, uh, Governor, I have a question about a statement you made. You said that you thought prostitution should be legal. No, 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 no. I never said that. Well, but your words were... No, and, no, if and you're saying that I said I wanted it legalized, then I was misquoted. Sir, how could you be misquoted Brett. if you never said the man says he was misquoted. He was misquoted. Ah! Maybe you weren't here earlier when the governor said he wanted to stick to the issues. Like taxes. Ah! ah. Better roads. Ah. Education. Ah. Oh. Well, well, I have a question. Uh, governor, what is your position on senior health care? I mean, do you even have a position on senior health care? Brett? Why don't you explain to these fine people our position? Good, because you know the people would really like to know. Oh, ow, ow, ow! No, seriously, they're going to make you hurt me! Hey, hey, hey. So fuck off me! Stop! No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Stop! Stop! What the f***? What are you doing? Go ahead, finish your line. No, 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 I don't want to. Dave, what were you going to say? Just finish your line. Can we cut this, please? Let's cut this. Let's cut this. What? What? Cut that off. 
What? Just take it easy. Now let's start again. I'm sorry, David. Can we start again? Sorry. Hang on a second. Well, well just start, start again. What are you doing? Well, well, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry, sorry too. Are you all right? It was not fine, but just twist What? tell you, all these stupid, brain-dead, mad TV fans, the last time I came on this show, this guy tried to humiliate me. He tried to pick me up and twirl me around like I was this bitch. It's not going to happen this time. You want to be a funny man, Sasso? No. Write this into the script. You want to write things into the script? No, no, no. Write this. Hey, 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 hey. So now we have Bret Hart, who pretty much turned heel. And I'll tell you the interesting thing about it. If you go watch this episode of Nitro on the WWE Network, they edited out the Mad TV segment, because earlier in the night on Nitro, because there was going to be a match between Bret Hart and Roddy Piper for the U.S. title. And earlier in the night, they aired on Nitro the footage of what Bret Hart did on Mad TV. So you watch the WWE version of it. That segment is not there. It is edited out. So all you get is the match between Hart and Piper for the U.S. title, and Will Sasso is sitting at ringside. And you hear the commentators talking about the footage that they aired earlier in the night in Nitro, but it's not on the WWE Network. But basically what had happened was Will Sasso was sitting ringside as a fan, and Will Sasso obviously just had that segment on Man TV with Bret Hart, and um, Bret Hart decides to pull Will Sasso over the guardrail, beat him down a little bit, and they allow Will Sasso to stay at ringside on the apron during the closing moments of the match. And this is how the match would end up. Send you into the safety rail down the entranceway here. And this sellout crowd on its feet. Many of them watching the struggle for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Once again, we certainly have our prayers with Kimberly at this time. I don't know if we'll get an update on her condition before the end of the program. We hope to. Two, three, and look here. Arsenal trying to choke the life out of Piper using that TV cable. Has it wrapped around his neck two or three times? A lot of times. What's going on here? What is this about? Is that? Will Sasso there inside. Hart just brought in to the floor. He's fighting everybody. He is. Piper don't care. Piper just wants to get his hands on the hitman. Red Hart better concentrate on Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. 
Harper falling back now. Picking up hard. One, two, kicked out. Piper hit the backdrop suplex, but was slow to cover, and Hart was able to kick out at two. Now he's begging off. Maybe he's had groin injury again, huh? Yeah, well, he lured him in, kicked him in the gut, did Piper, or did Hart, in the Piper, back and forth they go, right and left. He missed the roundhouse, we've got Piper sleep ball. Oh, referee Mickey J, there was a collision in the corner. Who was the brunt of the brutal attack that we saw earlier on videotape? Who got a front row ringside ticket? Who's now cheering Roddy Piper on? Red Hart's going for something, it looks like to me. I believe you're right, digging into the tights. He in his right hand. Check his right hand. Inside crater. Referee's out of position, though. He's out of position. The referee's out. You call out of position. That's I what guess. I meant. That's out of position. Oh, Ooh, he got him good with it. Sasso trying to get this uh, referee Mickey J uh, revived here. Meanwhile, Piper suffering the brunt of this illegal object by. Oh, we got by Bret Hart. Hart trying to get the referee. Oh, we got a twirl. Mickey J's in tug of war between Sasso and Hart. And a roll up. Piper. One, two, three. Right there, right there in the middle of the ring. Roddy, Roddy Piper. He's got the goal. Piper's a champion. What a way to come back to Nitro. Roddy, Roddy Piper is the new United States heavyweight champion. Welcome home, Hot Rod. here on Monday Nitro, the little tug of war between Bret Hart and Will Sasso ended up with a roll-up by Piper, and there is a deserving champion if ever I saw one in pro wrestling. So now you got Bret Hart losing the U.S. title to Roddy Piper, Will Sasso running around the ring, just, I don't know, man, he, he just, it didn't fit well and then the following week they do a match Bret Hart versus Will Sasso the one thing that I do love about this whole story like the, the press for Mad TV was great it really was but Will Sasso getting involved in this match and then having an actual match after that at the time it was just dumb and stupid what, what I do love about it is you can't fucking blame Vince Russo for this one so for everybody out there that says this is one of the dumbest moments in Bret Hart's career, you cannot blame Vince Russo because Vince Russo didn't enter WCW until late 99. So for everyone out there that was dying, clamoring to blame this on Vince, no, nah, you can't. Sorry. Now we fast forward to 2000. Sunday night heat taping in Austin, Texas. S.A. Rios defeated Gilberg in 45 seconds to win the WWF light heavyweight title. 
reason why I bring this up is because this was the debut of Lita in WWE. Previously, she was in ECW as Miss Congeniality. And uh, she would show up in the corner of S.A. Rios, the former Papi Chulo. And she actually did one of her moonsaults after uh, S.A. Rios won the title that night. And look, I have said over the years, her moonsaults are one of those moves that I always cringed whenever she climbed top rope because she never seemed to get a lot of height on her moonsault. You watch her debut on WWE TV, that moonsault looked exactly the same way it did 20-plus years later. But God bless her. I mean, one of the, the my favorites as far as the women in WWE history. Here's a match I think a lot of people forgot. This week on Raw, that same year, 2000, Radicals, X-Pac, and Triple H defeated Cactus Jack, The Rock, Too Cool, and Rikishi. And when I talked earlier about Raw sometimes beating Nitro in ratings 3-1. to one. Remember, this is the same week that Scott Steiner cut that promo. The ratings that night, Raw 6.5, Nitro 2.7. There you go. Now, I just played that Will Sasso audio, his involvement with Bret Hart. That took place in 1999. Well, now we fast forward three years to 2002. Now, again, you look at Will Sasso in 99 compared to 2002. That guy got himself in better shape. And there was a segment on Mad TV not too long before this night on SmackDown that Will Sasso was doing an impersonation of Steve Austin. Well, apparently WWE and Triple H was so impressed with Will Sasso's in imitation of Austin, they decided to do a segment with Will Sasso, Chris Jericho, and Steve Austin on SmackDown. And I'm going to play the audio. It's very entertaining. But if you want, go out of your way and watch the video of it because I thought Will Sasso, as bad as he was with the Bret Hart stuff, I thought he was excellent in his uh, segment with Jericho. Funny, funny shit. All right, jackass, are you ready for a beating? What? <laughs> I said, are you ready to fight me right now? Where? Right here, you beer-drinking, tobacco-spitting, foul-mouthed, stupid donkey redneck! It is Austin. Why? Because I'm going to prove that I am better than you. Who? Sounds just like him. The larger than life, living legend, undisputed champion of the world, Chris Jericho. That's who. How? By giving you an undisputed beating, Junior. What do you have to say about that? You're asking Stone Cold what he has to say? What? Well, I'll tell you something. It doesn't matter what the rattlesnake says, no. It matters what 
is what my watch is telling me. My watch is telling me it's time. Chris Jericho, my watch is telling me it's time. It's time for Stone Cold to face facts. Shoot, it's time for Stone Cold to come clean. It's time for Stone Cold Steve Austin to finally realize you're the better man, Chris Jericho, and I ain't gonna beat you at no way out. question what the hell is going on here I said what's going on Kate Pasa what look at that piece of trash right there is that Chris Jericho is that Y2J is that the undisputed champ is that the man that puts you up to this go ahead say something what shut up Do you feel good about what you did? Are you going to win an award? Are you proud of yourself? You got your little goatee? Your little mustache? Your little shaved head? Your little bloodshot eyes? You know what? You don't even smell like beer. You want to drink a beer with the real Stone Cold Steve Austin? What? That would be great. Would that be great? Would that be swell? That'd be a good time. Say that'd be great, Mr. Austin. That would. What? Hand me a couple of beers. What is this, Michael? I'll open it for you. You can have mine. Now, you won't ever do this again, right? You promise? Do I have your word? Cross your heart? Hope to die? Stick a thousand needles right in your little eye? We got a deal? Thank you.
what, why, how, where, when. <laughs> I thought it was good. I really did. I thought it was great. 2003, Chris Hero defeated CM Punk 2-1 to one in the best th- out of three falls to win the IWA Mid-South Heavyweight title. How long did this match go? It was a 90-minute time limit. They went 92 minutes, 15 seconds. I know we're used to 60-minute Ironman matches, but this one went 90 minutes and actually went overtime for a little over two minutes. So there you go. And you know what? Chris Hero, yeah, as Cassius all know, people label his disappointment, but you go back to 2003 and you see this match is one of the reasons why a lot of people... Uh, have been fans of Chris Hero over the years. Definitely a good match. Another match, maybe not all that great, but you got a lot more offense than you would expect. If you want to flash back, Daniel Bryan, as Bryan Danielson, wrestled John Cena on an episode of Velocity back in 2003. And the match is not bad. You know, if you look at the careers at that time for both men, I thought it was pretty interesting. That same week on Raw, Vince McMahon, earlier in the night, fired Eric Bischoff. And then basically at the end of the night, decided he would give Eric Bischoff a second chance by being the GM of SmackDown as long as he agreed to join a club. The time has arrived. Who is going to be the new Raw general manager? Vince McMahon is in the ring. I think we're about to find out. All right, well, we... uh... We fired one general manager tonight. Now it's time to hire another. Oh, boy. Pick me. This general manager I've selected is eminently qualified. This general manager is fair. Not only eminently qualified and fair, but this GM as well is someone who I think, quite frankly, you'll like. Who is it? Right now... I'd like to ask the new general manager to come forward. Get the camera up there. Who is it? What? No, 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 no. Is it no? JR? This is not the new general manager. What? What a second. There comes Eric Bischoff. How about Eric had left? I don't think Vince even knows what's going on here. What the? What the hell are you doing here? Just give me a guarantee. Austin will be at no way out. Guarantee. Done deal. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Just listen, listen, listen. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been informed by JR. It's a done deal. It'll be there. Just been informed by Jim Ross that Stone Cold is guaranteed he's going to be at no way out. Whoa! Which means that uh, since Stone Cold is reinstated, then JR, you should be reinstated as well. Yeah! Go up there and take your spot. Right. right up there next to the king. What about that? Well, King, I told you things always seem to work nice out. Nice to have you back, JR. Yeah, get out of here. I mean, no, it's been a pleasure, Coach. Whatever. Thanks now a lot. Then. No, I'll give I it guess back you to think since sure, Stone Cold. There's going to be a no way out, and I guess maybe you can take credit for delivering Austin. And you think Chief Morley should have his job back too, don't you? I think you're absolutely right. 
You think that you should have your job back as the general manager? I would suspect, don't you? JR, you're back. Look at this. And you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, as of this moment, I give you your new general manager, Eric Bischoff. He's back! That's hard to believe. Uh, wait just a second. Eric, if memory serves me, though, you, you didn't you tell me earlier on that you would do anything to keep your job? He said it! Yes, he said it! I have an idea. Oh, boy. What if you were to join, let's say, what if you were to join a, a certain club? Oh! You remember uh, that, JR? Oh, do I? Now, I don't mean a country club now. No. This is a very special, a very unique club. And quite frankly, I don't ask a lot of people to join. This is something very special. It's very exclusive. Well, Eric, this is what's uh, going to happen here. You're, you're going to join the club as a condition of employment. How's that? Eric Bischoff, you're going to join the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club. <laughs> oh, boy. JR, are you going to love this or oh, not? This is going to be something. This is an experience that Bischoff will never live down. He'll never forget as long as he lives. Everywhere he goes, people will remind him of this for the rest of his life. Pucker up! He's not even getting any chapstick. <laughs> yeah, get around there. You get the good view. Get on the backside. Oh, boy. You don't want to be on the bad side of the boss, but you got to go on the south side. Well, you know all about this, don't you, Dad? Oh, uh, brother, I do. Yo! You think he's going to make it do tricks again tonight? Here it comes! Where is it? Oh, by the way, Bishop. Ain't she a beaut? <laughs> oh, Lord. Ah, all right, Eric. He's got tan lines. I don't have all night in case you didn't notice. My ass is hanging out on national television. <laughs> so I'd appreciate it if you'd go ahead and pucker up and kiss it. <laughs> oh, man. JR, you've got to That's love it. That's it. Oh. closer. Watch it. Get the camera in the right angle there. We Watch it. My ass it. does tricks on occasion. It's I can't gonna, control it. It's going to do tricks again. Come on, Eric. Come on, Eric. I'm sorry. Huh? I just can't do that. Well, why can't you? Others have. We're going to be fired again. I, I, I'm sorry. He knows his job. He didn't last long. I can tell Vince don't like this. He doesn't like rejection. I... <laughs> I hope you understand, Mr. McMahon. I just... Probably nothing personal. Well, if you can't join uh, that club, I got another one. You damn well will join or I'll fire your ass again. Uh-oh. And that's the Get My Ass Kicked Club. My Ass Kicked Club? Uh-oh. That's a new one. Hey, listen. 
Mr. McMahon, if it means you gotta kick my ass for me to keep my job, then so be it. Bend over. Let it happen. Yeah, beat the hell out of him. Beat the hell out of Bischoff. Oh, this is gonna be good. Vince has been wanting to whip Bischoff's ass for years. <laughs> I think we're gonna see it right here, King. Yes! Do it! Well, then I'll tell you what we're gonna do. Because I gotta tell you, it's not the first time I thought about ripping your head off your shoulders and spitting down your throat. He means it, folks. I don't think he meant spitting. Therefore, at No Way Out, Eric Bischoff, you're not going to be there as a general manager. No. As a condition of employment, Eric Bischoff, you will be at No Way Out, but you will be competing in a match at No Way Out. Uh-oh. Match. So then in one corner, it's going to be Eric Bischoff. In the other corner... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You don't, that, you, look, don't, you don't look, think. Yeah, look at that look. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, my God. Austin and Bischoff are going to fight at No Way Out King. Two thousand and four. I originally was going to play the audio, but it really doesn't come off well as far as an audio clip. It's better as a visual. Little storyline went down on Raw. Basically, what had happened was uh, Chris Benoit had defeated Ric Flair by submission. Following the match, they were going to do the contract signing between Chris Benoit and Triple H to set up their match for WrestleMania twenty. Shawn Michaels would in- interfere in the contract signing. Basically, super kicking Chris Benoit before he could sign the contract. Shawn Michaels would then sign the contract. And for a moment, we thought it would be Shawn Michaels versus Triple H. Uh, Remember, Benoit had earned his shot at the heavyweight title for Mania. So it ultimately ended up being a triple threat match involving Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 20. And obviously, Benoit won, and it's one of those memorable moments that you wish you could still enjoy and celebrate, but you can't, obviously, because of what transpired. 2006, This Week in History, Wrestling Society X taped its pilot for MTV. And a lot of people to this day either feel Wrestling Society X was a little ahead of its time. Honestly, I don't think so. You look at today's age as far as you know, just the environment that we're in. I know Lucha Underground is very creative, very revolutionary. I kind of wish Wrestling Society X um, would have existed 10 years earlier. 
Um, before XBW came to the Northeast and all that, I think it would have been um, very interesting. It would have been a hybrid of ECW to a certain extent, but uh, I liked it. I thought they did a pretty good job of it. And it's a shame that it would not last all that long. It really only did one season. Same year, TNA presented the Against All Odds pay-per-view. Christian defeated Jeff Jarrett to win the NWA World Heavyweight title. And, you know, I disagree. I know my co-host on the DTKC show has said this many times over the years, that when Christian does interviews and he's asked about heavyweight titles, he says, you know, the WWE title is really the only heavyweight title, you know, the real. It was the NWA heavyweight title. You know, as, as ridiculous as the NWA had become at that time, you know, to be, to have that, you know, that title under your belt as far as a resume goes, I think it's still something that should be uh, celebrated and acknowledged. And to, you know, try to shoot it down like, eh, it was nothing. I, I don't know. I, I don't particularly agree with that. 2008 on ECW TV, CM Punk defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. in a Gulf of Mexico Extreme Rules match. This match, I think, d- deserves to be enjoyed a little bit more by fans. It was a pretty good match. I enjoyed it. You don't hear anybody ever talking about it. That same week, WWE signed Taryn Terrell to a contract. She would only last there for about two years, and then she had the domestic incident with then-husband Drew McIntyre that got her indefinitely suspended and ultimately released. She would spend three years in TNA and then would be released in January of 2016. 2008, WWE issues a press release announcing that they are leaving the CW network. That same week, they also cut ties with uh, Louisville's Ohio Valley Wrestling. This way they could focus on their... Uh, developmental Florida Championship Wrestling down south. And that same week, a match that I, for some reason, really remember in the history of TNA, Abyss defeating Judas Macias in a Bob Wire Massacre match. That took place this week also in 2008. 2009, TNA releases Petey Williams and Lance Hoyt. Also that week, Chris Jericho was involved in an incident while leaving a WWE event in British Columbia. Now, there are many camera uh, recordings from this day. Basically, I suggest you watch all of them if you're going to look into this incident because, you know, one camera view provides a little bit clearer audio, some yelling and screaming that you don't hear in another camera audio. Basically what happened was fans surrounded Jericho's vehicle as he was leaving. Jericho was a heel at that time. And somebody kicked the vehicle. Jericho got out, got into a shouting match. A woman who, I guess, either yelled at him or something. Then all of a sudden, she wants to take a picture with him. Jericho is staring people down. I think one woman shoved Jericho, so he shoves her back. You hear the boyfriend, you shot my girlfriend, you shot my girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. And then you just hear Jericho yelling at security, do your fucking job, do your fucking job. And WWE issued a a, a press release, a little statement at the time. And I got to be honest with you. I I I think Jericho should be very thankful that there were fans with camera phones at that time. Because especially he was a heel. 
in this day and age, sometimes people can't separate character from person. Yes, Chris Jericho these days is very beloved and well-liked, appreciated, all-deserving. But at that time, could you just picture how people could have twisted that story, especially because he, you know, alleged to have shoved a woman and this and that and cursing people out. And you look at the footage and it really was not Jericho's fault. So WWE uh, issued this statement at the time. And, um, and I quote, after leaving an event in Victoria, British Columbia on Saturday evening, Chris Jericho's car was attacked by a mob when he was stopped at a stop sign. Unable to proceed, Chris Jericho exited his car to ask the crowd to clear a path so he could continue through his intersection. A man and a woman physically and verbally assaulted Mr. Jericho. Uh, Arena and WWE security arrived to establish order in order to allow Mr. Jericho to re-enter his vehicle and depart. The local uh, police arrived minutes later. Mr. Jericho was unharmed in the incident. The WWE is working with local authorities who are investigating the incident to identify the man and the woman who fled the scene. Now, you read that statement, and you're kind of like, wow, they didn't take the side of the woman, you know, assaulted this. Uh, oh, that's, again, that's why when you look at the footage, it really paints a different story. And I think that WWE saw that footage that day because it popped up on YouTube within hours of what went down. WWE issued their statement, I think, the, the next day. So there you go. This week, also in 2009, WWE signed the son of Haku, he would make it to the main roster as Camacho. Unfortunately, in 2014, he was released from his contract. And then uh, for those that may not follow Japanese wrestling, uh, in 2016, he was announced as the newest member of the Bullet Club. So there you go. 2010, Ron Simmons retires from in-ring wrestling. He did it very quietly. Uh, what didn't happen, long story short, there was an event that took place in Georgia, Perks International Championship Wrestling. They did draw about 1,000 people, but uh, he was involved in a match teaming up with David Young and Air Paris, accompanied by Christy Hemi. They took on the team of Bobby Hayes, Alexander the Great, Terry Lawler, and uh, Jackie Rosedale in their corner. Uh, and Simmons, after the match was over, got on a mic and said he would continue to do appearances and maybe get in some physical interaction here and there, but no more matches. 2010, Bobby Lashley leaves TNA to concentrate fully on his MMA career, and uh, the release becomes official when Bobby Lashley's profile is removed from TNA's website the next day. Lashley would wrestle on the indie circuit sporadically, and obviously we know he would ultimately return back to TNA, which was March of 2014, and the rest is history. 2012, I talked about Chris Harrell not too long ago. He uh, officially reported to WWE developmental territory under the name Cassius Ono. 2015, NXT presented TakeOver Rival, one of the uh, most under-talked about enjoyable shows that I have watched on NXT. The card that night, Enzo and Kaz over the Vaude Villains, Hideo Itami over Tyler Breeze, Baron Corbin over Bull Dempsey in a no-DQ match, Blake and Murphy over the Lucha Dragons to retain the NXT tag titles, Finn Balor over Neville to become the number one contender for the NXT title, Sasha Banks over Charlotte, Bailey, and Becky Lynch to win the NXT women's title. In the main event, Kevin Owens defeated Sami Zayn by TKO, to win the NXT title. Wrapping up this week's episode, Awesome Kong 
in 2016 is released by TNA after having a backstage altercation with Rebby Hardy. And it was this week in 2016, Daniel Bryan uh, retired from in-ring action. And look, a lot of you out there, including me, kind of saw this coming. There was a lot of issues going on with Daniel Bryan medically. He had returned to in-ring for a very short period of time. I remember a match involving him with Sheamus that a lot of us thought that he might have suffered a concussion. No way, shape, or form trying to blame it on Sheamus or anyone else, but still, it was very sad this week in 2016. First, it was announced on Twitter, and then they had the retirement speech on Raw. I'm going to play the retirement ceremony in its entirety, which I think you'll enjoy. And then something else happened that night that I think a lot of people forgot about. I think people remember it, but may not have remembered that it took place the same night as the Daniel Bryan retirement speech. But first, let me present to you in its entirety, Daniel Bryan on Monday Night Raw announcing his retirement from in-ring WWE. Because when we're here, we always have to keep our eyes open. But just that experience, uh, I'm literally, I'm never going to forget it. But now, but now it is time for me to address the giant elephant in the room. I know, I know, I didn't want to shave my beard either. 
But the thing is, is that I wanted to cut my hair, and once I cut my hair, I looked really silly with this giant beard. And this is just my one cheap plug, is that I cut my hair for an organization called Wigs for Kids. And one of the nice things about them is that they make wigs for kids uh, who have had cancer and they don't charge the families at all for that. So, um, if there is anything worthwhile that comes out of what I'm saying tonight, that, that's it right there. Uh, but now to some less, less fun stuff. So, Trust me, I don't want to be doing this any more than, than you guys want me to be doing this. But uh, the truth is, I've been wrestling since I was 18 years old. And within the first five months of my wrestling career, I'd already had three concussions. And... Uh, for years after that, I would get a concussion here and there, or here or there. And then it gets to the point when you've been wrestling for 16 years that um, that adds up to a lot of concussions. And uh, it gets to a point where they tell you that you can't wrestle anymore. And for a long time, I fought that um, because I had gotten EEGs and brain MRIs and neuropsychological evaluations, and all of them said this, that I was fine and that I could come back and I could wrestle and I trained like I would come back and I would wrestle and I was ready at a moment's notice if WWE needed me I wanted to come back and wrestle because this I have loved this in a way that I have never loved anything else But a week and a half ago, I, um, I took a test that said that maybe my brain isn't uh, as okay as I thought it was. And 
I have a family to think about, and my wife and I want to start having kids soon. That's what Bree says all the time. So, it is with a heavy heart and the utmost sadness that I officially announce my retirement. But if there's, if there's one thing, so I, I've gone through all these complex emotions in this last uh, little bit. You know, I've been angry, I've been sad, I've been frustrated, I've been all of that. But today, when I woke up this morning, I felt nothing but gratitude. Because I have gotten to do what I love for nearly 16 years. Let me tell you a few of the things that I love, okay? Let me tell you a few of the things that I love. Nobody outside this arena or this city cares about this, but I love the Seahawks. another thing that I love. Uh, here's another thing that I love. Right before my music hits, and it makes that weird sound right before it comes on, and when you guys react every single time, even if I'm tired as hell or I've been hurting every time, I get this weird little smirk on my face that's not like, but it just, it brings joy to my heart, and I, I love it every single time. Do you, do you know what else that I love? I love hitting the ropes and diving right here. It has made me feel like Superman. And your guys' reaction to that made me feel like Superman. I love that.
Here's another thing that I love. Here's another thing that I love. I have wrestled in the parking lots of gas stations. And I have wrestled in front of 70 plus thousand people in New Orleans. Here's another thing that I love. I have gotten to meet the most amazing people on this planet, such as somebody who looks like a monster, but is the smartest man I know, like Kane. I have gotten to meet a man who has been my mentor and my friend for over 16 years in William Regal. I have gotten to meet children that are stronger than I ever thought anybody could be, like Connor. grateful. I am very grateful. And I'm grateful because wrestling doesn't owe me or anybody back there. It doesn't owe us anything. WWE doesn't owe us anything. Nobody owes, you guys don't owe us anything. We do this because we love to do this. And then it was strange because I did this because I love to do this. And then all of a sudden, you guys just got behind me. In, in a way that I never thought was possible. In a way that fans shouldn't necessarily get behind a guy who's five foot eight and 190 pounds. You guys got behind me in a way that made me feel that I was more than just me. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful. I am grateful because a little over two years ago, in this very arena, you guys, hijacked Raw. And they were trying to do a big championship coronation between Randy Orton and John Cena. They were combining <laughs> They were combining the WWE Championship with the World Heavyweight Championship. And they had all the former champions out here. And this was gonna be the most important match in WWE history. And you guys just wouldn't stop chanting, Daniel Bryan.
but that's, that's not why I'm grateful. Uh, my dad was sitting right over there where the guy with the goat mask with the Daniel Bryan sign is, is standing right now. And my dad got to see that. His, his son getting that kind of reaction from all of you people. And that was the last time my dad ever got to see me wrestle. And you guys made it special for him and for me and for my entire family. I am grateful. I am grateful because of wrestling, I got to meet the most wonderful woman in the world. Who's beautiful, she's smart, and she completes me in a way that I didn't even think was possible. And that's because of wrestling. I I am grateful. I am grateful because I get to come out here in front of what I feel is my hometown fans. I get to announce my retirement in front of a bunch of people who love me, right? That special moment that I had with my dad, I get to share this moment with my mom. With my sister. With my family. With my friends. I get to share that with them, I get to share it with you, I get to share it with my wife in the back, I get to share it with all these wonderful human beings that I have spent the last 15 years of my life with. I am grateful. Now, tomorrow morning, uh, I, start, I start a new life. A life where I am no longer a wrestler. But that is tomorrow, and that is not tonight. And by damn, I have one more night to feel this energy and to feel this crowd. So if I could just get 
one last yes chant, I would really appreciate it. Now, as it went off the air on Raw, you see the locker room along with Vince McMahon clapping and offering their thanks to Daniel Bryan. And the ceremony continued on the WWE Network. But what a lot may not have remembered was Vince McMahon was walking to the back up the rampway. And all the wrestlers were all standing alongside. And at the same time, I think it was Brie Bella was walking back with Daniel Bryan and Vince McMahon was leading the way. Titus O'Neil grabbed Vince McMahon's arm, kind of playfully and saying ladies first, but Vince McMahon did not appreciate that, did not like it, and ultimately Titus O'Neil would be suspended 60 days because of the incident. We covered it on the Don Tony and Kevin Castle show, uh, People were just outraged. I personally think this was one of the best things that could have happened to Titus O'Neil because the guy is such a good man on the outside. He has done so much for charity, so much for youth. He is just involved in so many activities. I don't think anybody even remotely understands. And you see him just, you know, playfully saying ladies first, that's just an extension of who he is. And quite honestly, for WWE to suspend this man for 60 days, it really made WWE look terrible in this, but it really emphasized the goodness in Titus O'Neil. So I'm sure if you go back in time, Titus O'Neil would have wished that he didn't get suspended at all, but it happened. And just for, for also to add one thing to it, WWE originally suspended him for 90 days, and they actually thought about releasing him entirely. But WWE cut the suspension down to 60 days. And, you know, the rest is history. So, and with that, we are done with this week in wrestling history. Some notable birthdays for this week. Some who have passed no longer with us. Happy birthday to Classy Freddie Blassie. Chris Adams, Louis Piccoli, Sensational Sherry, Kimbo Slice, Espanto Number 3, and Hans Schmidt. Tiger Chung Lee turned 70. Larry Young turned 64. Jim the Anvil Neidhart turned 63. Rusty Brooks, 60. Yuki Ishikawa and Meng turned 59. One Man Gang turns 58. Happy birthday, Medusa and Ken Shamrock. They both turned 54. Kisuyuki Nakanichi turns 52. Doug Gilbert, 49. Victoria turns 47. The Big Show turns 46. Hernandez, 45. Shelly Martinez and Connor of the Ascension turn 38. Happy birthday, Kevin Matthews, who turns 35. Madison Rain, 33. And Serenity turns 27. This week in history, we unfortunately had the following deaths. The Elephant Boy died at age 87. Jackie Palo died at age 80. Bob Sweeten died at age 76. Chavo Classic, Chavo Guerrero Sr. and the Sweetest Angel died at age 68. Tony Nardo at 51, really, really sad. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning died at age 44. Buzz Sawyer, 32. Larry Sweeney died at age 30 as a result of a suicide, if I remember. The Mod Squad's Spike died at age 28. And again, as I said earlier, 
we did lose a Von Erich this week as well. David Von Erich died at the age of 25. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you don't do so already, follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD. Check out our website, DonTony.com, Facebook.com slash DTKC show. If you want to check out the archives of this show, Breakfast with Blasi, Don Tony and Kevin Castle show, go to www.dontonykevincastle.com. If you want to email me, the email address is dontony at dontony.com. And if you like what we do and you want to support the shows, help us keep the lights on, the bills paid, and keep us going, consider our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash dontony. Not only can you support the show, uh, help us pay the bills, but we have a ton of exclusive content there. We have a podcast that I do with Anthony Missionary Thomas of Wrestling Soup. It's called Breakfast Soup. It's like a combination of Breakfast with Blossy and Wrestling Soup. And there are over 45 episodes playing right now. Kevin Castle, for everybody that always wanted a solo show hosted by Kevin Castle, he has Castle Chronicles. There's over 45 episodes there. He has a, another show that he does bi-monthly with Trez. It's called Dark Chronicles. They talk about music, pop culture, movies, a little wrestling mixed in with it. Very lighthearted show I think you might enjoy as well. We have pay-per-view predictions contests. We have giveaways, a lot of interaction, and you get it all there. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. You could sign up for as little as five bucks, get everything. And if you get in on it this week, we are going to be doing some silver and gold giveaways next week. This Thursday will be Castle Chronicles, hosted by Kevin Castle. Next week, you will have Dark Chronicles and another edition of Breakfast Soup. So with that said, I am out of here. I will be back in one week with your next installment of This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Be well. Ciao. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments, where bold moves require confident blueprints where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at saic.com cloud. Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter, and you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, it's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense.